Colleagues, welcome back to the office. We're going to get started with our presentation here just in a moment. But before we do, I have a couple of brief announcements to share with you. First, if you're watching our course live, please note that we'll confirm your engagement through polling questions uh, that you can respond to. Polling questions will occur about every 12 to 20 minutes, and please keep an eye out for them because they might not be announced. If you're watching after the fact, it's a self-study course. You will confirm your participation and engagement with our course today through a brief quiz that you'll complete on cpetoday.com after watching or listening to our presentation today. Your completion certificate will be sent to you by email. As long as you respond to 75% of the polling questions, if you're watching live, you will receive full credit for today's course. If you're watching after the fact as a self-study course, please note your certificate will be available to you immediately after passing the course quiz. We'd love to know what you think of our content and of our presentation today. If you wouldn't mind completing our course evaluation to provide your thoughts and feedback, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, your feedback is used to help produce better and more insightful courses for you to consume in the future. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear from you. If you're watching live, feel free to use the chat dialog box to ask your questions to the presenter. And if you're watching after the fact, you can send us an email at support at cpetoday.com and we'll follow up with you as quickly as we possibly can. As a reminder, the CPE Today podcast is available as a joint effort between CPE Today and K2. Twice a week, we're bringing you the latest and greatest in technology, accounting, business knowledge, and more. You can watch for free on cpetoday.com, YouTube, or Facebook. If you can't make the live presentation, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and listen to the show on your own time. All of our podcasts are eligible for CPE credit. After watching or listening, you just head over to cpetoday.com. You complete a short five-question quiz, and you'll earn a credit for watching or listening. Now, if you've never tried one of our classes before, how about you try one on us risk-free? You can use coupon code ONEFREEPODCAST at checkout to make any podcast course of your choosing 100% free. We're going to get started here with our presentation. And again, thank you so much for being here. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcome, everybody. Let me start with a question. When was the last time that you sat back and said, boy, I really wish I didn't do that. That was such a waste of time. It doesn't matter whether it was watching a movie you didn't like or whether it was something that you did at work that was sort of, yeah, you know what? It seemed to be a good idea at the time, but it turns out to be a waste. Or maybe it was something that you didn't even think you were doing, and it just happened. Yeah, that happens to a lot of us, doesn't it? So at any rate, thank you for joining us today. We're gonna to be going over some of the ways that you can get rid of those types of situations because we all know that when you do something like that, it affects you in so many different ways, both personally and professionally. From a personal standpoint, that might have been time that you could spend with your family or that you can spend on some activity that will help your organization get revenue, help you finish a project, help you get a client's uh, taxes out on time. There are a number of different things that you could have been doing when you were doing that thing that just really wasn't the right thing to do. From a corporate standpoint, it affects profitability. And when you have a lot of people in your organization, no matter what part of the organization you're in, you'll find that it becomes a cumulative issue. So today we're going to talk about time management, or actually 
let's call it time optimization because that's a much better way to think about it. We as people do things sometimes thinking about it and sometimes just because it happens because of the situation, because of the scenario, because it's our habit. And today we're gonna to look at a handful of the popular time management systems in order to figure out how to bring them to bear on what we wanna do on a daily basis in order to better utilize our time day in, day out. Why? What does that happen? Well, first of all, there's a stress involved. 46% of the stress that we feel as human beings are caused by just being overwhelmed. And in today's market, for those of you who are a little bit older, we know already that there's a big difference between having a cell phone by your side or an iPad or your laptop or a home office and just being at, the, at work where you can shut things off. It has caused a lot of the stress that we've seen, sources say, and it is a strong reason that it becomes an issue. Today, according to Harvard Business Review, 80% of the time that we spend doing tasks is very little value. Yet, if we spend just a small number of minutes every day, we could reclaim up to two hours to be able to be used in some terrific things. In some areas, it's even more acute. So let's take the sales area. I, I know you're not all salespeople here. I know we've got CPAs, we've got financial professionals, we've got CEOs, we may have some salespeople, we've got some industry accountants, but somewhere along the line, there's some business development being done. From a business development standpoint, we listen to McKinsey where they say that an average sales team only spends 16% of their time with their clients and prospects. Yet, they remind us that that is where the business is earned, with the clients and prospects. And they find out further that the top 20 percentile of sales teams spend three times that. There's still a lot of time that they can spend with their clients and prospects that aren't spent, but that just gives you a sense of the scope of the problem. It's huge. There's a lot of time that we use that we'd like to be using better. I'll go back a hundred years to Coco Chanel. She created an empire in perfumes and toiletries. And I love the way she says it. Don't spend time beating on a wall hoping to transform it into a door. That is, if you're trying to do something and it's not working all that well and you're not accomplishing what you want to do, could it be that there's a better way to do it? Absolutely. So we recommend to our clients that when they're doing meetings, there's always a good purpose to have those meetings. And at the beginning of most meetings, you should set out an agenda or some set of goals of what you're going to do. So we're going to do that right here. And today, our goal is to discover a handful of popular techniques for time optimization that will help you reach your goals. During the course of that time, in order to make that happen, we're going to review four popular time management techniques. You've probably heard of three of the four. 
but they're going to be different depending on who you are because they're all popular. We're going to talk about how they differ and how they work together so that you can take them and bring them to bear for yourself. We'll be able to differentiate between them and find out the best fit for you and the best fit for your business. You may be asking yourself, why is this the guy who's going to tell me about it? Pure and simple. Experience, study, and frankly, I've been in the room with the people who have come up with the studies, some of them that we're going to be talking about today. Basically, we have been implementing for our clients. I'm the CEO of a company called Confirmed, and I've been a consultant for several decades. And we've been implementing for our clients time optimization strategies in various ways. Built a couple of companies. And I think there may be a little bit of background that we could bring to the table that will make this session really, really helpful for you. That's the goal. You can see my background here. By the way, I pronounce it Raiden, just like in radio. And if you want to learn further a little bit later, I'll share my LinkedIn profile with you. According to the Harvard Business Review, there are three A's for successful time management. Awareness, arrangement, and adaptation. Awareness. You cannot do something properly or focus on something unless you are aware of what you want to focus on. Now, we all have these systems in our head. Some of them run by our amygdala, which is basically our subconscious. Some of them run by our executive function, the conscious thoughts that you have. And sometimes you just have to bring these things from the back of your head to the front of your head to be aware of them so you know you can create the processes that you need to do. So you know you can attack the problem. And then, by the way, a little bit later, we'll talk a little bit about how you turn that into habits so that they actually come back here and become what we like to call no-brainer. Anyway, after you're aware of them, then you have to arrange them. We call this systems thinking. And we all have systems, and we very often think of systems as being technology or robots or machines. We're going to talk about systems today in two ways. There are the technology types of things that you'll use, the software and the hardware that you might support yourself with. But in general, we're talking about systems in a more holistic manner. We're talking about systems that you use, which is a series of steps or a process that you can use, which may or may not be with those software or hardware systems, but they may just be the way you act and they are probably going to be a combination of the various resources and tools that you have with the steps that you take at various times. And they say you need adaptation. It's not enough to have a system. You need to be able to use the system. And you need to be able to change it as it becomes less useful to you or as you find ways to be able to make it more useful for you. So there are a lot of techniques that we can be talking about here today, and I can probably do a two-hour session on any one of these, and you'll find it to be compelling, and you'll learn a lot about how to use a specific session, a specific technique. 
But today I'm not going to do that. I'm going to narrow your focus a little bit. We're going to take four of them that are very popular. And by the way, those are all very popular. And as I said, you've probably heard of most of them, but I've picked out four that I think work well as starter and continuous implementation sometimes together and that have broad applicability in various parts of the industry, including for CPAs, including for operations, including for executive functions. And those four are the flow method, which you didn't know that was really a method, did you? People talk about, hey, I'm in the flow. And you thought that was just an expression. It's not. They've studied it. They figured out the, the, the um, uh, education industry, the, the uh, professionals have figured out exactly how that works. We're going to talk about the, the Eisenhower matrix, which is been, it actually came out of President Dwight David Eisenhower. And it was adopted, co-opted, changed, modeled on by Stephen Covey, by Dale Carnegie, and by others. But we're going to talk about that one. We're going to talk about one that you, it's a little bit newer. It's called Eat That Frog. It's from uh, a consultant by the name of Brian Tracy. And we're going to talk about the Pomodoro technique. Many of you have probably heard of the Pomodoro technique, but probably don't know much about it. Um, it, it takes some specialized types of, of needs. We're going to take these four. And then after we go through these four, and you'll understand a little bit more about them, we're going to then talk about habits and how you can take habits and habit formation and turn it into a time optimization tool that you could use with whatever combination of these four and other techniques that you decide to adopt for yourself and perhaps for your team, perhaps for your organization, and perhaps even bring it into your clients. So it's time for our first question. According to the Harvard Business Review, which of these factors is important to a successful time management? Is it awareness? Is it arrangement? Or is it adaptation? Whoops, forgot one. Could it be all of the above? Think about that a second. Did you get it? We said it before. It is all of the above. Harvard Business Review says that you need awareness to be able to focus on it, arrangement to be able to create something that can be used, and adaptation to be able to both adopt and to change it as it needs to be changed. So now, let's look at those techniques that we talked about before. We'll use them as the building blocks for your time optimization system. And we're going to start with flow. Flow was created by a psychologist from Hungary who moved to the United States. And he created this idea that how well you can become immersed in a specific type of activity is based on the level of challenge that that activity gives you and the level of skill that is required in order to do that. It gives you the feeling of energized flow. It's one of those things where you feel like you've got your blinders on 
where you feel like I am really hitting hard on this particular item and it is coming along really well. So take a look at this diagram that I have on here and you'll notice that flow is only one eighth of that diagram. It's in the top right corner. Basically, the level of flow that you have, the way that you get into this immersion of feeling that you're just energized and that you're focusing really well has to do with doing a challenging task and having the skill to do it well. Think about the last time that you went into that. Where was it? Was it when you're doing somebody's taxes? Was it when you were on the tennis court? When you were at the plate with a bat and somebody thrown at you at 60 miles an hour. I know not, not that many of you have seen 90 mile an hour fat, fastballs, I'm sure. But you get the idea. You have to really pay attention. And in most cases, you have the skill level. So what happens if those are both low? Suppose it's not challenging and suppose you don't have the skill. Eh, I don't care. It's You're apathetic about it. It doesn't matter. Mm, let it go. Let it go. I'm not going to go do that. If you have some skill, but the challenge level is still low, you might find it, find it boring. On the other hand, if the challenge level is high and you have some skill, you might be starting to meet it, but you're not quite getting there because you don't have enough skill to make it. So you've got a little bit of something holding you back. And if your challenge level is high, but your skills are low, you're, like, you're likely to be very anxious about it. On the other hand, Skill high, challenge low, eh, I'm relaxed, that's fine, no problem. But you get the idea. Whatever you, whenever you wanna get into a series of flow or that concept, you want to be able to get into that high challenge level and the high skill level. So when we talk about being in the flow, we're talking about a methodology for you to focus on the thing that you need to get done. Let's go with another question. When can you successfully enter the state of flow? When your challenge level and your skill level are both high? When your challenge level is low and your skill level is high? Or when your challenge level is high and your skill level is low? Or is it none of the above? That's right, it happens when your challenge level and your skill level are both high. We saw it on the screen before when we showed you that diagram. In the matrix, flow happens at the top right corner when both of them are high. Apathy, the I don't care response, happens when they're both low and there are various other types of reactions that happen with the varying levels of challenge and of skills. The second technique we might want to consider using is the Eisenhower method. Now, the Eisenhower method is used a lot because it's very easy to think through and create a design out of. And I've got it up here. Dwight David Eisenhower said, how, when asked, how is it you decide what to work on and when to work on it? And his response was, I look and see whether it's urgent or important. 
and you see those two axes on this grid that I'm showing you right there. If it's both urgent and important, I'm going to do it and I'm going to do it right away. If it's urgent, but it's not important, I'm going to hand it off to somebody to do because it doesn't deserve my time. If it's important, but not urgent, I try to figure out what the best time is to do it and whether to do it and who should do it. And I put it off until then. And if it's neither in urgent or important, I don't care. Won't get done. Let's just get it off my, let's get it off my to-do list. And since that time, various other, as I said uh, earlier, various other time gurus have taken it and have made some, made some adoptions to it, some adaptations to it, and have used it in various different ways. Um, but the base of it still requires this whole concept of, is it important or is it urgent? And which of these four quadrants does it fall into? And you can make a very, very high confidence decision about what to do with it and when to do it based upon which of these four quadrants it's in. Now, some of you may do a list of to-dos. These are my A priorities. These are my B priorities. These are my C priorities. And when you think about it, you're probably really doing some deviation of this method where the A priorities are in the top right corner. They're in that quadrant, which I need to do those. The B priorities are those that you need to decide what to do with. And the C priorities, you know, they could be either the decide or the delegate, depending upon them. But if you're doing that right, there's never anything from that bottom left quadrant. There should be nothing showing up on your list, which is I shouldn't be doing that. And frankly, that's one of the biggest challenges that we have as humans is that we want to do things when sometimes it's not even in our best interest. With that in mind, let's take a look at the third technique that we plan on talking to today. And that is the technique that is espoused by Brian Tracy. According to Tracy, there's never enough time to do everything, but there's always enough time to do the most important thing. So if we get back to that ABC list of priorities, in this methodology, and by the way, Tracy's got about a dozen or so methodologies that can be used in various, in various configurations. But the one that's most famous and the one that, that, that that many people use sometimes without knowing it is the one we're going to talk about next. In the Tracy configuration, if you think about that ABC priority stuff, what about if you only had one A priority? And if during the course of the day, you got that one done. You're good. You've had that day done. That's sort of the way it works. He calls it eat that frog. And the idea behind eat that frog is that frogs do not taste very good. So if you take the most difficult task that you have and you do it first thing, even though it is yuck 
you're likely to get it done. Whereas if you don't try to do it early in the day, no matter how important it is, it probably won't get done. Now, there are a lot of psychological reasons for that, that his that actually support what Tracy says. And we like to use um, a, a deviation on what he does, which is to take what the Eisenhower method says is what's in your top right quadrant. And then of those, which are the big frogs. Now, by the way, Brian Tracy, this is not, it's not a mistake that he used eat that frog. He actually got it from somebody, you know, from literature, Mark Twain, Samuel Clemens. He patented this after a saying that Clemens said, which was, and I'm paraphrasing here. If you eat a big bullfrog at the beginning of the day, everything else the rest of the day will seem really, really good because you've done the most disgusting thing that you can possibly do first thing. And it's out of your way. And that's the whole idea behind eat that frog. If there's something that's difficult, you're managing your energy to do that. Now, if you combine the Eisenhower method with Tracy's method, you've got a very, very powerful way to be able to handle a given day. And I added on the slide, that you should probably decide the day before what your frog is going to be for the next day so that you can wake up in the morning and know you're going to do it and be focused on it and your mind will process on it in the middle of the night. And by the time you're ready to start your day, that big frog will be waiting for you. Okay. So, so far we've talked about a way, the flow for you to look at your energy and your focus. We've talked about the Eisenhower method, which is about focus on specific tasks and being able to, on a more macro level, take a look at what you're doing. We've looked at a way for you to be able to get the things done that are difficult to do by doing them first. And now we look at the Pomodoro technique. The Pomodoro technique, again, from a professor in Italy, the Pomodoro technique, is where you choose a task, maybe a big task, and you work on it for no more than 25 minutes. And then at the end of that 25 minutes, you take five minutes off. You congratulate yourself. You take that break. And then on the half hour, you start the cycle again. Do another 25 minutes. Could be on the same project to get it done, or it could be on some new one because you've gotten it done the first 25. And then you take five minutes to congratulate yourself. You take a short break, and then you go back into it. Now, the key to this Pomodoro technique is that it helps you reclaim your energy from difficult projects. So it's sort of a combination of some of those. It's a little bit of a simpler method in order to enact, but it very often requires you to have equipment. And you see what that piece of equipment is. It's a timer. Yeah, and we all have those on our cell phones, right? So we can do that, and you can even get some special Pomodoro uh, types of, of um, timers in order to do this. But the idea here is you, in order for this to work the best, you have to stick to the idea that you're not going to use your, the fuel in your tank till it's empty. You're going to use the fuel in its tank in your tank until you're ready for a break, take a break, 
refuel, and then go back and do it again. And the Pomodoro technique actually gets a little bit more decisive in that it has a specific amount of cycles you should be going through, four of them, for instance, four, four of those half hour cycles, and then take a half hour break. Now, you may notice that this Pomodoro technique, with the way that I'm describing how to take those time elements and how to be able to configure them, you may recognize that they are very similar to what we see in labor markets and in other areas where they'll, uh, in, in labor law for that matter, where they'll say, okay, for every four hours, you have to have a 15 minute or a half hour break or something to that effect. Psychologically, those really hold up very well. So here we have the Pomodoro technique, which is how to be able to manage the amount of time that you are able to give to something before you run out of steam. So you've got those four different types of techniques. They work well individually. They work well together. And guess what? They work even better if you make them a habit. So now that we've learned a little bit about four techniques, now let's think about how do I make it so that I can use those techniques on a consistent basis and that I do it automatically. So if you start looking at the science on habit creation, you'll find three common things in every formula that's out there. Now, there are some differences between various formulas. You'll see three of these things in some, four of them in others. I'm going to give you the three. These are the three actually that came from Charles Duhigg. As he put it down in writing, he's a New York Times columnist who had a book called The Power of Habit. Just to give you a sense, that's where this particular one comes from. And what they're saying is that there's got to be a cue. When that cue happens, a routine starts. You make something happen. You make something happen. And then at the end of that, you are rewarded for getting that done. Almost every habit you do has that kind of configuration. Again, there are some minor deviations in the way it's described by different people, but virtually every psychologist will tell you that it basically behaves something like this. So here's the surprise. This probably is not a surprise to you. You probably figured that out. Uh, it's dinner time. I get hungry. I go get something to eat. And then after I'm done, I go for a walk or some other thing like that. My alarm rings in the morning. When it does, I go and work out. And then after I'm done working out, I take a shower. My shower is my reward. Or I have a cup of coffee or a good breakfast or something to that effect. And there are good habits and there are bad habits. I walk through the kitchen. I see the raisinets there on the counter or the cookies or the other sweet. And it's so compelling to me that I have to take one and I eat it. And I don't feel all that well later in the day, but I've eaten it. So in the second case, what's the cue? The cue is walking through the kitchen. You see the cookies. Now, here's where that surprise comes in. Would you know that habits cannot be gotten rid of? It simply does not happen. Psychologists tell us it does not happen. That's the bad news. The good news is you can replace them. So the way to stop having a bad habit is to replace it with a good habit. And that good habit has a cue and a different routine 
and an award and a reward that will over time replace that first one. And just in general, when we talk about making any of these yours, it's going to be based on a foundation that includes that kind of methodology. Now let's talk a little bit about, let's look into a, a little bit more of the science and some of the, uh, some of the math behind it. So I mentioned here two different authors. One of them is a professor over at Stanford. His name is BJ Fogg, and he calls it the Fogg method. Others call it tiny, tiny habits based on his book, The Power of Tiny Habits. The other one's James Clear, who is, doesn't have the same academic credentials as Fogg does, but his stuff has proven to work in the past, and he calls them atomic habits. And they're very close, and they have some very big similarities. So according to Fogg, if you can make the habits smaller and get the smaller habits to go, you can grow those habits. According to Clear, if you make the small habits, their additive effect is phenomenally large over time. So here on the right, I show you something that we pulled from jamesclear.com, which is the additive nature or the multiplicative nature, I guess it is, of atomic habits. If you can get 1% better at something every day over the course of one year, you will become almost 40% better at doing it. If, on the other hand, you become 1% worse every day, you will become only three one-hundredths as good at doing it as you were previously. So you can see the power of being able to improve versus the power of even small declines. And this is a 1% up or 1% down that he's talking about here. So if you're able to take some of these habits that we're talking about now and even get them to work at a very, very small level, the cumulative effect on you, your business, your personal life will become phenomenal. From the FOD perspective, here's one of the keys. And he's got this FOD behavior model that he says that the behavior equals motivation times ability, times prompts. Now, these prompts are amazing because as you get into it, you see just how powerful prompts are. If you don't have a prompt to do it, you're less likely to do it. And in fact, I'll show you in a little bit when what we do for some of our clients at Confirmed, where we give them a prompt every day so that they can do things the way that we ask them to do. We, we call it letting them act as electrons going down the path of least resistance where that path of least resistance corresponds with the path of best practices. But in this particular case, you see a line that is not a straight line. It's an action line. Anything to the top right means that you're going to get success. Anything below that line on the left, you are going to fail. So if you're motivated at a high level and you've got a high level of ability and you get a prompt, you'll succeed. If you've got a low level of, mo of motivation, even if you have a high level of ability, your chance of succeeding becomes dramatically lower and vice versa, the same thing. But you still need the prompts. You still need the trigger and to trigger it at the right, at the right time. Both of those um, professionals say that creating triggers and creating triggers that build on one another are key to being able to implement these processes. And if we look at it over time, we can see that. This actually is uh, from 
uh, Atomic Habits as well, although we got it from the startup sub, uh, sub, subtack.com, um, where you see that over time, the, posit- the, the results build. Now, at the beginning, it's very hard. You've probably gone out there and tried to make some sort of, of uh, method to, to get strength training or to do exercise or what have you. And I think the chances are pretty high that when you first started, maybe you weren't seeing the muscles change, or maybe you weren't seeing the weight change that you wanted to have done, or you weren't enjoying it as much or whatever it was. Um, James Clear calls that the valley of disappointment, because at the beginning, that's what it seems like. Your results, which is the curved line, tend to be lower over the first number of repetitions. And then as you get more and more repetitions of the habit, the strength of those become better and everything becomes easier and your results become better. Whereas the difficulty level, the results, you know, over time, the expected results, they just go up. You're expecting them to go up in a straight line. They don't. So that once you reach that inflection point, what he calls the critical threshold, now suddenly or it'll seem like suddenly you'll get one of those aha moments to say, hey, you know, this is good. This is great. It's working. But it doesn't happen automatically and doesn't happen quickly. So I bring this to you at this point to say, as you're taking these processes that we're talking about, whichever ones you do take, you can't expect it to work day one. There is um, some level of investment you have to do, both in terms of making it happen and in terms of making the right system and cues so that you can get the behavior that you want and get it to work for you. And we've got various ways to do that. Uh, you'll actually see a little bit in a minute. In the meantime, though, let's ask another question. Which of the following things is key to habit creation? Being motivated to do it? removing the difficulty or the friction, triggering the habits at the correct time, or all of the above. That's right. It's all of the above. Talked about it a few minutes ago. You need a trigger, you need a motivation, and you need to take away the difficulty or the friction that's involved with making it happen. The better you can do on any three of those axes, the more likely you're going to turn a behavior into a habit. I'm going to bring up a couple examples now from our experience and from what we do with our clients at Confirmed. And our techniques are to do things like helping them enhance their focus on the high priority items and to remove the friction of getting those done. So it actually sits well with those habit formations. We also try to remove or automate the less valuable things that they shouldn't have to do. So therefore, we help them get into the top right quadrant by taking away things that they don't necessarily have to do that are now currently in their bottom left quadrant, according to the Eisenhower matrix. Couple examples. So you're looking here at something that we call a daily snapshot. It's something that we send to our clients and our users every morning, early in the morning. It serves right now two functions and we're building more into it. Right now it serves two functions. 
at the beginning of the day, they can see something that's visually oriented towards the patterns in the way that they think, that they don't have to dig into their calendars and figure it out. And it shows their day at a glance. The green stands for green fields that you have some things that you could do there. On the left side, you see which calendar it's on because many people use multiple calendars. In my case, for instance, I use Outlook 365, uh, I'm sorry, Office 365. I use live.com, both Microsoft products. I use Google Apps or Google Calendar or Google Workplace, whatever they're calling it, the day that you listen to this. And so they're all represented there on the left, including our confirmed, so that we can get a sense for if we need to get more information, where do we need to go? But just as importantly, you see that middle column, which has icon-driven methodologies for you to go right from meeting to meeting and for you to say, oh, look, I've got four meetings today. One of them is live. You see the map icon. I need to get over to 100 South Commons today for an 11 o'clock meeting. And then I got three of them that are on various types of web platforms. It tells me what platform I need to be on. It tells me whether it's my platform or whether I'm using one of their, my, my meeting people's platform. And you can even see in here between one o'clock and two o'clock, I'm going to have to jump off a of Zoom and I'm going to have to get on a Google Meet. And that's somebody else's. You'll notice it also gives me some actions I can take. And it tells me when a reminder was last set out. So I have a little bit more information about what I should do. At the beginning of the day, it helps me get a good grasp visually on what my day is going to look like, better than my calendar can typically do. During the course of the day, it helps me more easily go between activity and activity, thus removing the friction. So that's the type of thing that we, that we try to do with our clients. A couple other ways that we work with our clients is one of our clients who optimizes his travel. He's a real estate photographer. And he has people asking him to go, real estate agents asking him to go from the north side of town to the south side of town, to the east side of town, to the north side of town again, to the south side of town, and to the west side of town, and to the north side of town again over the course of a single day. So we have taken artificial intelligence and put it into a process for him so that he can stay in the same part of town for longer periods of time and not be drawn through this heavy travel cycle. And he can save 30 to 40, sometimes 50% of his day from what it used to look like. We look at systems that you have. Connected systems, if they're done right, work better for you than when they're standalone or when they're just connected with ways that you don't really understand. And there are strategic ways that you can schedule in order to make sure that you're staying in your top right quadrant that we talked about before. And so from our perspective, when we work with our clients, we say, let's look at the things that we can do in order to help you in these various ways. And in essence, we're keeping the Eisenhower matrix and flow and um, some of these habit forming types of things in mind as we work with our clients in order to figure out what it is that they should be doing. For you, you don't need to have us. You can do it yourself. And if you do, there are some methodologies that you could use. And we'll call them examining your situation. So question number one, you have to ask yourself, do your systems currently enhance or detract from the way you manage your time optimally? And chances are it's going to be, yes, they enhance, yes, they detract. And how do we pinpoint which of those portions detract so that you can work on it? See, that sounds a lot like flow, doesn't it? 
focusing or, or Eisenhower, focusing on those things in which you're going to get the most impact from either people or activities. Which activities and people should get the most focus from your time? Where do you and your team focus your time now? And let's take those questions together and say, given that we ask those two questions, are they the same? And if they're not the same, how do they differ? How do I make them not differ? And the key to making them not differ is to bring what you do to what you should do, not the other way around. Now, you probably started out and have been throughout the course of this session, been saying to yourself, which time management te would help, technique would help me the most? Maybe you've come up with some answers. And if, you're, if you haven't, that's fine. We can work with you on that. Or you can find lots of ways in order to be able to help figure that out. And then where can I best utilize those techniques? Now, this is an interesting question because it's not about which ones will work for me. It's about where I'm going to get the biggest bang for my buck by doing it. And when we think about if you're in a team environment where you've got, I don't care how many people, 10 people, 100 people, 1,000 people, most of the time when we create systems, we think about the system that we could create for everybody. Remember, I'm not talking about a technical system. I'm talking about an overall process. I'm talking about a methodology. And most of the time when we think about systems, we think about what's the single system that we can create that can commonly help everybody. The reality is not everybody needs the same type of help. Some people just have bad time management. Other people are technically challenged. Other people find it distasteful in order to put their information into systems. Others have noise around them that they, because of their environmental issues. And others may just have other types of things. So they're different, but the chances are each of your people have some percentage of it. And the question is, which one tackling First, we'll get to the biggest bang for the buck. And how do you take that and then chop down that challenge or that set of challenges that's keeping you from meeting the goals the way you want to? And we call that best utilizing those techniques. What's the best bang for the buck? And then once you figure out which the best bang for the buck are, perhaps in order, then how do you implement in the most effective way? What types of new systems do you bring to the table and make available for your people or yourself? And I say make available because most of the time edicts don't work. But remember before we talked about the amygdala or we talked about the back of the head and the front of the head, the subconscious versus the conscious. Turns out that the psychologists tell us that people do go down the path of least resistance. And that path of least resistance usually has something to do with what their amygdala, the stuff down here at the core of their brain, the, the base of the brain, tells them to do, because that's where the subconscious decisions are made. And the subconscious decisions are much faster than the executive decisions, the conscious decisions that you make. So therefore, if you can create a set of systems in which they will automatically go down those paths without you requiring them to do it, that'll be a much bigger win for you to do. It takes a little bit more forethought perhaps, but it works really, really well. And in fact, if you think about it, 
many of the apps and many of the websites that you use have been putting you through that for years. For that matter, so has your local supermarket. They've been helping you make decisions for the products that they want you to choose by putting them at eye level instead of at foot level, by putting them at end caps instead of in the middle of the aisle. So they're helping you in the same way that I'm telling you. Make the way you want them to go the path of least resistance, and they're likely to follow. I live in Pittsburgh. And in Pittsburgh, we have Andy Warhol all over the place because he's from here. And I love the fact that he wasn't just an artist, but he was actually a very savvy time manager. And according to Warhol, they always say time changes things, but you actually have to change them yourself. So I will challenge you to look at your systems and to change them yourself so that you and the people on your team can get the most out of them. If anybody wants some help doing it, I'd be happy to explore it with you. And here are the ways you can do it, either through this QR code or this contact information. And in fact, there's even a self-service scheduler that you can use. That's part of what we do. I think you'll find it to be a little bit different than what you'll see elsewhere. Um, that will help you get on my calendar and we can have that kind of exploratory conversation. So that being said, um, let's see if there are any questions. Who's got the first question? I'll tell you what, um, you know, one of the things I found out is that I need to give you a couple minutes. I won't, I'll give you a couple seconds to figure it out because you, I've given you an awful lot of things to think about. Ah, okay. Here, the questions are coming in. There you go. But I'd rather let you have a, a couple minutes to figure out based on everything that we've talked about what it is. Okay, here's the first one. For a team of people, if I've chosen a set of techniques for our company system, how do I get them to comply? Okay, we just talked about that a little bit just a second or two ago. Um, if people act like electrons. If you give them a path of least resistance, that will follow them to where they need to go, it's a lot better for you than if you, it's a lot better for both of you actually, than if you just say, here's a system, go implement it. And that could mean that you put the easy pieces in place, just like we were talking about with the FOG model, and that you make it so that it's very easy to do, that there's not a lot of friction, and it could be that you give them a little bit of training and tell them what your expectation level is. And it could be that you give them other resources that they have in order to make it easy. One of the things that I would, that I would suggest you do in almost all cases is to put the triggers together so that they will remember to do the things that you want them to do. You just saw the way that we did it a minute ago was this whole idea of this daily summary. I give those to our clients on a daily basis so that they know the things that they should be looking at for the day. And you could extrapolate that into however, whatever your triggers are, whatever the things are that you want them to do. Okay. Um, should I have everybody start at the same time? Very, very savvy question. So that depends on a number of things. It depends on how big your group is. It depends on how complex your system is. It depends on how deep your challenges or problems getting done what you want to do are. 
And it depends on the makeup of your team and how many people tend to be ready. Generally, if it's a large group, we tend to take the forward seeking people first, whether that's three or five or 10 or a hundred out of a thousand or whatever it is to be able to create, we'll call an early adopter model, figure out what works with those people, get them successful and then bring them out farther. But if the, if the group is small enough and if the group, you know, the challenges are bad enough and if you want to move forward, um, with every, and if they want to move forward, then you could potentially just have them all start at the same time. That really is situational. And very often with our clients, we'll look at what their situation is before we give them a suggestion. I've got a fortune 500 company right now, who's just starting to use us for a pilot program with 20 people. And they anticipate going to a thousand people later. I've got another organization who put more than that in, even though they're going to only have, you know, a, a couple hundred people using it at the end. And I've got some that are just using it with one or two because those are the people who need it. Okay. What else do we have here? <laughs> okay. I'm an individual. What do I do if I fall off the wagon? That's really good. I guess we can call it falling off the horse. You get back on. Um, if you fall off the wagon, uh, just like what they tell you to do when you're drinking, get back on. Just like what they they tell you to do um, when you're when you're riding a bike. Just like what they tell you to do in all sorts of situations like that is you have to mindfulness, you know, and, and meditation. They all say the same thing. It's not always about not being unsuccessful. It's about being able to focus on being successful again or getting back up and focusing on the things that will make you successful. And in virtually all of these cases, that will be the way it works. Okay, got a couple more here. Do I have time for another? Okay. How does this differ if we only do Zoom and team meetings and don't go out anywhere else and see other people. So that's really an interesting uh, scenario that we've been faced with for a couple of years. Um, I think it's going to be less that again. I think we're going to start to see more hybrid environments where we stop doing as many team meetings, as Teams meetings, as many Zoom meetings as we have been doing over the last couple of years. But you can bet that they'll still be part of our process right now. They are a little bit different because those types of meetings tend to have different types of dynamics. They tend to make you act different ways you're more likely to get on, but more, but less likely to pay attention. And there are other dynamics that are at play in those types of scenarios compared to when you're standing side by side with somebody and have visual cues and have other things that you can work with. That's frankly beyond the scope of the conversation here today, but let's just say that there are ways that you can do that. One more. Okay. One more. Does it matter which technology we use? Do they all work the same way with time management? And this person uses Office 365 and Salesforce. Okay, so I guess you're probably using Salesforce as your, as your um, source of, single source of truth, as they like to say. And that Office 365 is probably the desktop systems that everybody's having. Um, yeah, you can implement it in any. It doesn't matter whether they're using those two or whether they're using a full Microsoft stack or a combination of Microsoft or Google or all Google or some other hybrid. Um, we like to implement on top of existing systems instead of trying to replace them um, because you already have a lot of a lot of investment in it and a lot of good things going on. So whether you're using um, 
project management and task management. Uh, you're, you're almost all certainly to be using various types of email and similar, you know, contact management and calendaring. Um, you might be using a CRM system in your organization. There are ways to be able to make these all work together. And it doesn't really matter so much what you're doing. It's a matter of which ones you're using. It's a matter of how it's implemented and how you're trying to get it to you to be used and for what purpose. So there are different ways you can, you can handle that. Okay. So I'm, I'm getting the, uh, the pull on my neck here. So I thank you everybody for joining me today. If there's something I can do, my contact information is at the, uh, is on the screen as we speak. And I thank you for letting me join you today and to help you get to the next level of better use for your time. This concludes today's presentation. As a reminder, if you're watching or listening to our show on YouTube, Facebook, or elsewhere, you can earn credits by going to cpetoday.com and passing a brief five-question quiz. If you're a new watcher or listener to our show and you'd like to earn a credit, you can do so for free by using coupon code ONEFREEPODCAST at checkout. You can make today's class or any other class of your choosing 100% free with this code. Please consider reaching out and connecting with us on social media. You can subscribe to our channel on YouTube. You can follow us on Twitter. You can like us on Facebook and more. Feel free to leave us a comment. Also, please consider subscribing to our show wherever you happen to receive your content, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and others. Thank you so much for being here. We look forward to seeing you back at the office the next time around.